take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. God knew it would be hard for us to remember hundreds of ancient commandments, so he condensed them to just 10. Then Jesus went even further. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers how Christ summarized the commandments into just one which he said was the most important. To introduce today's captivating message, what is the greatest commandment? Here's David. Well, there are a lot of commandments in the Bible. Some people think there are only 10 But, you know, if you take all the commandments in the Bible, even the commandments of Jesus in the New Testament, there's not just 10, there's hundreds. And uh, the question that we're asking today is, out of all the commandments, including the Ten Commandments, which one is the greatest? That's not my question. Some people asked Jesus that question one day. Master, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered and gave them more than they asked for. He gave them the first greatest commandment and told them the second one was like unto the first and gave them the second one. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This is a great question. What is the greatest commandment? If you get the answer to this right and you internalize it, it'll change your life. You'll discover that there's more to life than just sitting around watching television. There's some things to do. There's a way to fulfill this commandment that you never dreamed of. And the world is just waiting for the people of God to believe that and do it. We'll talk about this in a few moments. First, I'm running out of time to tell you about this book that I've written called 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. It won't surprise you to know that it is the book from which this series has been derived. And in the book, you will find all of the questions we've been discussing on the air, all of the answers that are in the chapters. And uh, this book is unique in the fact that we have bound into the book a mini study guide so that at the end of every chapter, there's two or three questions to help you think about what you've read. And if you're in a small group, these can be discussion starters. But I want to tell you what, if you're talking about temptation and worry and forgiveness and how many ways are there to God and why you have so many problems, you talk about that in a small group, you won't need a discussion starter because... Everybody weighs in on questions like that. I guess I'm suggesting that this might be a good book for you to use in your small group. You can get your first copy of the book by sending a gift of any size to Turning Point before this month runs out. Uh, And when you send your gift, just ask for a copy of this book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. And you can order however many copies you need from our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. Have them shipped right to your home. You'll have one for everybody in your group. And you have the study guide built right in the book. 
I know you'll be blessed and encouraged and strengthened, and you'll learn much, and God will use it to change your life, and it will bring value to you as a Christian. I hope you'll take advantage of this opportunity. Well, here we go. What is the greatest commandment? We'll find out as we open our Bibles together. I remember reading a story about a guy who was getting ready to go out of town for the weekend to a formal event, and as the week went along, he got toward the end of the week and realized that he hadn't gotten his formal wear dry cleaned, and it was in a mess, and the cleaners where he normally went couldn't handle it, but he had remembered across town there was a cleaning establishment that had one-hour cleaner on the front of it. So he got in his car, took his clothes to this establishment, and he filled out the claim ticket, and he said, I'll be back in a couple hours to get my clothes. And the guy says, no, no. He said, we can't have these for you until Thursday. He says, well, it says on this establishment, one-hour cleaner. Oh, he said, that's just the name of our business. We can't do that. (laughs) And I thought to myself, isn't that the way it is for a lot of Christians? We have the word Christian plastered over us, but it doesn't really mean anything. That's just the name we call ourselves, and we are not maybe expressing that in what we do. Well, today, in this question and answer thing with Jesus and a scribe, He's going to help us understand what it means to really be who we claim to be. What does it mean to truly be a Christian? How does that work out? What does it look like? How do I know if I've really got this disease or not? The passage begins in the 28th verse with what we might call the search for the first commandment. Listen to these words. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, that is, Jesus and the others who were questioning him, and perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, asked Jesus this question, which is the first commandment of all? Now, the Bible says that the man who approached Jesus in this context was a scribe. That means he was a very religious man. A scribe was somebody who copied out the scriptures for other people. He spent all of his days in the Word of God, copying the Scripture. We would call him today a theologian. We would say this man was a professional religious person, a theologian. And so that's who's asking Jesus this question. And he actually comes with a desire for some understanding, but also because he believes there is no answer to this question. And when we see the question in its context, you'll realize what we're talking about. You see, Jewish tradition divided the commandments of God's law into positive commandments and negative commandments. According to tradition, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. You said, Dr. Jeremiah, I'm depressed. I thought there were only 10, and I'm not doing all that hot with the first 10. Well, there's 613 of them, y'all. 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And if you break them down, they are like this. 248 of these commandments tell us something we should do, and 365 tell us something we shouldn't do. These are not just the 10 main commandments. These are all the sub-sub-commandments that you can get if you read every word of the Old Testament. And this scribe came to Jesus that day, and he said, Master... Which of all of those is the most important? It's like you're walking into a room and hear all 613 commandments laid out on a table, and the scribe says, Jesus, we want you to go and pick one of them up and say, this one 
is the most important. Which is the first? Now, most of us wouldn't have been surprised at all if Jesus had answered him by giving him what is the first of the Ten Commandments. And you know what that one is in Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. We might have thought Jesus would have answered him with that, but he did not. Jesus answers in verses 29 and 30, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now what Jesus gave to this man by way of an answer is what you refer to when you say it or talk about it as the Shema. It's spelled S-H-E-M-A. Say that word out loud with me, the Shema. Now, the Shema is the title given to this particular concept as it appears in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, this is what we read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It's called the Shema because the Hebrew Shema is the first word in the verse. The word Shema means hear. So the Shema is a command to hear this word. And the Shema in Jewish tradition is the most important spiritual document among all of their documents. The most important concept in Judaism is the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the Shema. And every Jewish child would learn that as their first memory verse. And most of them repeated it twice a day, once in the morning and once at night. The most important thing for a person following Judaism in that time was the Shema, and it is still vitally important even today. It is the central prayer in the Jewish prayer book. It is the first section of Scripture that a child learns, and its recitation is in the synagogue And when they recite it, I am told they take their right hand and they put it over their eyes as if to blot out everything else, and they repeat the Shema. So the scribe said to Jesus, what is the most important commandment of all the commandments? And Jesus said, here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. What does he mean when he says this? He says the most important thing you can do to be who you claim to be is to love the Lord God. Let's break it down, first of all, with all of your heart. I remember some years ago when I was a bit younger than I am now, a man came to me with this question. He said, Dr. Jeremiah, my friend had a heart transplant. And my friend wasn't a Christian, but the person who donated the heart was, does that mean my friend is now a Christian? (laughs) Interesting thought. If you get a Christian heart, doesn't that make you a Christian person? Of course it does not, because what Jesus is talking here about, he's not talking about the pumping station you got here in your body. He's talking about something far different than that. The heart, according to the New Testament concept, is the center of your emotion, the center of your feeling, the center of your desires. It's where you make your plans and where you talk with yourself. Your heart is the emotional part of your being. So when you say to somebody, 
I love you with all my heart. Well, you, you don't say to your wife, honey, you know that pumping station I got in my chest? I love you with that. No, no, no. You love your wife. You love your husband. You love them with all of your heart, all of your emotion, all of your desire, all of your feeling. God Almighty doesn't want our passive love. He wants our passionate love. So he says, if you want to know the real commandment, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your passion, with all your heart. And I don't know about you, when I read that, I think, whoa, man, I'm not sure I'm doing that. I know I should, and perhaps there are some times when I do, but I wonder, how do I measure up loving God like that? And then it says, and not only should you love him with all your heart, you should love him with all of your soul. And the soul in this context is kind of like the volitional part of you, the will of the desire, the thing that you turn the switch on with. You love Almighty God with your soul, and that's how you move forward. You make decisions with your soul. It's the way you get something started. It's how you turn on the ignition. It's where you love God with all your energy. Love God with all your heart, your emotion. Love God with all your energy and will, your soul. And the third one is love God with all your mind. Now, stop for a moment and let me make a little editorial comment. If you go back to the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 4, love God with all your mind is not in it. It's not there. There's only three. In the Shema, it's love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. But here, Jesus, how many of you know Jesus can make editorial comments whenever he wants? (laughs) He can add whatever he wants, and it's still the scripture. Jesus makes an editorial comment. He adds the word mind to the list. So now there's not just three ways to love God. There's four. Now it's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In his book, A Mind for God, James Emery White explains this. He says, when summarizing human devotion to God as involving heart, soul, and strength, Jesus added and mind to the original wording of Deuteronomy as if he wanted there to be no doubt that when contemplating the comprehensive nature of commitment and relationship with God, our intellect would not be overlooked. What a profound thing Jesus did for us. Let me tell you why. If you talk to some religious people today, and even if you watch some religious television or read some religious books, you will run into this thought. The way you really, really get close to God, the way you really know and love God, here's how you do it. Shut your mind off. Get your intellect out of the process and let your emotions take you where you go. You wonder why there's so much weird stuff in religious television? That's the reason. They shut off their minds. How many of you know that if you're going to be a Christian, you have to have your mind because that's the only way you can understand the gospel? If you're a Christian today, you're a Christian, first of all, because the gospel came through your mind gate into your system. So to say that your mind is not important, and when you hear them talk, you realize they're practicing what they preach. When you say your mind is not important, you're violating the covenant of the law because Jesus said, Love the Lord God with all your heart, love him with all your soul, and love him with all your mind. Jesus goes further and he says, love God with all your mind. He tells us that we're to love God with everything the mind is capable of doing. It would seem that if your mind can spin out complex mathematical calculations, love God through math. (laughs) 
If your mind can plan a business, love God through your business. Love God through your ability to design a building. Love God through your ability to write a novel. Love God through your ability to understand philosophical problems or imagine a story or plan or whatever God has given you as your gift. If he's given you a good mind, take that and give it back to God and use it for his glory and love him with all of your intellect, with all of your mind. God has given us minds, and those minds are his, and he wants us to equip them and use them and then give them back to him in some way that we can serve him. Love God with all of your mind. All of your mind encompasses a wide range of talents and abilities. Some minds are gifted in the science. Some minds are gifted in the arts. Some minds are gifted to academia or higher education. Some are gifted in mundane things, but one set of talents is not better than another set of talents. And every calling is equal before God. And the point is, whatever you're calling, however God has wired you up in your mind, take it and use it for his honor and glory. And love God with your mind. C.S. Lewis once wrote that becoming a Christian is... Very, very important because God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than he is of other slackers. In other words, don't be lazy intellectually any more than you should be lazy any other way. He said, if you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you that you are embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. And I just want to give thanks to the Lord today for the men and women who have encouraged me because of their intellectual strength and their giftedness. And some of you are among those, many of you. You come to this church because you want to learn the Word of God. You want to equip your mind with truth that can be used by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, to make a difference in the lives of people. Do you know that the early Christians were tough-minded? They not only outlived and outdied their enemies, they outthought them. And the New Testament is a testimony to the fact that they read and studied and wrote and served God with all of their minds. And this book we love that we call the Bible is the result of some devoted minds filled with the Spirit of God that gave us God's holy truth. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love God with all your mind. And then the last one is love God with all your strength. And strength is your physical capacity, your physical prowess. However you use your body to love God, however you use the strength that he's given you to work with others, and we'll give you some ideas about that as we go along today. So let's just stop for a moment and think about the search for the number one commandment and the statement about the commandment. And here's the statement, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now notice the sequel to the first commandment. Mark verse 31, chapter 12. And the second, Jesus said, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, isn't it interesting that the scribe asked Jesus one question and he gave him two answers. And once again, he has the right to do that. I just can't imagine being involved in an intellectual dialogue with Jesus. You ask him one question and he gives you two. You get more than you bargained for. And he's going to get more than he bargained for. Jesus says, here's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. Now, Jesus was telling us to love our neighbor in the same way that we would like to be loved or in the same way that we love ourselves. And this particular passage is repeated in the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, and it takes kind of a little right turn from those passages. Let me show you what I mean. In Matthew chapter 7, we read the companion passage to this one, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and prophets. And then Luke says it this way, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. That's the second part of Jesus' answer, but you know what that's become, don't you? That's now called the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, the golden rule has been maligned and misunderstood and misapplied and misused for many years and for many reasons. And so I want to take just a few moments and tell you what the golden rule is not before I tell you what it is. I know that's not good grammar, but it is good theology. (laughs) Notice, first of all, this command, this golden rule command is not conclusive. This rule that we learned as kids, do unto others as you have them do unto you, is an old and honorable thing that God gave us in the text. And a lot of good has been done by people trying to practice this. As a guide to personal values, however, if you don't take it in the context in which it was given, surrounded by loving God with all your heart, you will get in trouble with the golden rule. Because the golden rule has a downside when it's taken out of context. If applied out of context, it can backfire and cause personality conflicts. You say, how can that happen? Well, apart from loving God first and loving others as you love yourself, if you use the golden rule as your dictum of life, you are really going to treat people the way you like to be treated, which means you will deal with others from your own perspective, and it implies that we're all alike, and what I want and need is exactly what you want and need. But of course, we're not all alike, and treating others the way we can means turning off those who have different needs and desires and hopes. Instead, let me suggest to you that you take it one step further. I remember a couple years ago, a business book came out called The Platinum Rule. So the platinum rule is supposed to trump the golden rule, just like your platinum card trumps your gold card. What is the platinum rule? It's kind of interesting the way they put it. I'm not saying you replace the golden rule with the platinum rule, but here's the platinum rule. The golden rule says, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. The platinum rule says, do unto others as they would like to have done to them. In other words, do unto others not as you want them to do to you, but do unto others as they would like to have done to them. Don't measure your relationships by what you want in the person who you love, but get to work and find out what's going on in the heart of the person you love and then try to help meet their needs. That's what they call the platinum rule, but it's not really any different. It's just the golden rule in the context in which it was presented. And so the golden rule, first of all, is not conclusive. You can't just take it and say, oh, I live by the golden rule. If you do that out of the context of the New Testament, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and probably a few enemies. Not only is it not conclusive, it's not comprehensive. Let me just give you the bottom line on it not being comprehensive. Listen carefully. You can't get to heaven on the golden rule. Can't get there. You stand before the Lord someday, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? You say, well, I kept the golden rule. Not. (laughs) Depart from me, I never knew you. 
The golden rule does not include all of the principle of morality in one statement. It is not the perfect guide to conduct. And if all the world would just follow this principle, the world would be healed of all of its sickness. No, it would not. You cannot go to heaven by following the golden rule. It will not save you. It has no power to forgive your sin or justify you in the sight of God. So whatever else you want to understand about the golden rule, don't make it the end all of spirituality. It's a major principle if you understand it correctly in the word of God. But if you make it your only rule in life, you will miss totally its purpose. Well, we still have one more lesson in this series on the questions, and it's tomorrow. We'll finish up our discussion of what is the greatest commandment. On Monday, we'll have sort of a standalone inspirational message, and then we have a brand new series coming in June. But right now, I want to encourage you for one of the last times to get a copy of the book that makes it possible for you to take this whole month of teaching and put it on your shelf. That's true. You can take everything I've said during the whole month of May and put it on your shelf. It will take up less than a half inch, but it will be there for you when you need it. Someone's going to come to you one day and say, is there really only one way to God? And you're going to remember, Dr. Jeremiah said something about that in a series. Oh, yes, I have that book. And you'll go and get the book and open it up. Here's everything I said, all the questions that come after it, and you'll have a head start on dealing with that question. That's why we write these books. We put them together to be resources for our people here and for people everywhere. This is a great resource book. You can get your copy by sending a gift to Turning Point before the calendar changes over to the month of June and ask for your copy of the 10 Questions book. We'll send it to you right away, and we'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's hardcover book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries for instant access to our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here on Turning Point. Legacy. When I think about my life and the legacy I will leave behind one day, I remember the legacy of faith I saw in the lives of my parents, and it is now reflected in the lives of my children and grandchildren. Then I reflect upon the calling God placed on my heart to preach and teach, and I think of the people who have been touched around the world through the ministry of Turning Point. Each of us will leave a legacy. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? In addition to the legacy that will be entrusted to your family, perhaps you have considered leaving your imprint on something with eternal consequences. 
Many people don't think beyond this life. They live only for today with no hope beyond the grave. But for the believer, we not only have an eternal perspective on life today, we want to leave behind a testimony of our faith so that others may come to know Christ as well. Long after you and I finish our time on this earth, Turning Point will continue to bring the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And there is still so much work to do. Will you join me in this very important effort? What will your legacy be?